Well, praise the Lord. I'm so excited about the word we're getting ready to hear from God on today as we continue our series of messages on the sovereign savior and sacred scripture. And so today we're going to be in the gospel of John chapter five, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 39. I'll read it from the New King James Version. Uh, John chapter five, beginning with verse 39. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and you're our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Listen to God's word in John chapter five, verse 39. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says, uh, you search the scriptures and these scriptures testify of me. The scriptures, he says, Jesus says, speak of me, uh, that the scriptures point to me. I wanna preach about, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We've been, over the past several weeks, we've been looking at our Savior's view of sacred scripture. Today, what we're gonna look at is uh, the scripture's view of our sovereign savior. We've been talking about what does Jesus say about the scripture? Today, we're gonna to deal with what does the scriptures say about Jesus? And the scriptures, uh, Jesus said, they testify of him. They tell of him, they speak of him. It's all about Jesus. It was in the uh, 2004 Olympics that Mount Emmons, uh, he was an Olympic shooter. And even as he's preparing to shoot on his, this last, uh, his third shot, and this is the last shot he'll be able to take for this particular event, he's, he's so far ahead that he really doesn't even need a bullseye. He just needs to, to get close to the, to just hit the target in, in some kind of way, and he'll have the gold medal. He'll finish in first place. So he, he climbs into lane two, and uh, he calms himself down, and he takes the shot, and as Matt takes that shot, he hits that bullseye. I mean, he hits it head on. And even though he hit it head on, he did not get the gold medal. He did not finish first. He finished eighth. And I know your question, wait a minute, Pastor, you said, all he had to do was get close. He didn't just get close, he hit the bullseye. Why would he not get the gold medal? Why would he not finish first? That's because he was in lane two, but he hit the bullseye in lane three. Here's what the headlines for the U USA Today said. Great shot, wrong target. Here he is, it's a great shot. He hit the bullseye. The only problem was it was the wrong target. Jesus told these Jews, he said, listen, y'all search the scripture. That's a great shot. You looking for eternal life, that's a great shot. He says, but the scriptures speak of me, but you have rejected me. You won't believe in me. That's why you don't have life. Great shot, wrong target. Y'all, Jesus is the target when it comes to the scriptures. A lot of us will read the scripture, we'll listen to other people talk about the scripture, and still miss out on Jesus. And I submit unto you that you're seeking the scripture and reading the scripture, I, that's wonderful. That's a great shot. But if you don't get with Jesus, 
If you don't understand, he's the theme, he's the thread, he's the target. That means that's a great shot, but wrong target. You got to get to Jesus. And there's so much we can find in scripture, primarily scripture. The Bible is a book of faith about Jesus. That's primarily what it is. Uh, somebody was arguing about why they don't believe in the Bible. They said, well, I don't believe in the Bible because if the Bible were true, it would say something about dinosaurs. And since the Bible doesn't say anything about dinosaurs, how can it be real? Some one of the writers would have been able to say something about dinosaurs. The reason why the Bible doesn't say anything about dinosaurs is because it's not a book about dinosaurs. It's a book of faith. It's a book about Jesus. And if you're reading it for something else, you're missing the target. And I, I used to be pretty good at math. When I was a youngster, that was my favorite subject, mathematics. And I love math so much because it's so consistent and persistent. It's the same way. Two plus two is always four. You're never going to wake up one day and open a math book and two plus two is five or two plus two is three. It's always four. And I love that consistency. And I did real well in math. I don't know what happened to those skills, but I used to do real well uh, with mathematics. So in elementary school, uh, whether it's uh, middle school or junior high school or high school or college, all of those math books that I had to go through and read. And with all of those math books, not one of them ever mentioned a dinosaur. Now I didn't sit up there and say, wait a minute, something must be wrong with these books because they talking about all these principles of mathematics and they don't say anything about dinosaurs. That's because it's not a book about dinosaurs. It's a book about mathematics. Y'all, the Bible is not a book about dinosaurs. It's a book of faith. And Jesus says it testifies of him. It's a book about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, from cover to cover, from start to finish, it's a book about Jesus. Now, there, that's the primary purpose of the book. Now, there are secondary things that we get from the Bible. I certainly have taken principles for money mass. I learned how to manage money from a biblical perspective from the scriptures. Uh, that's, that's how I understood how to be a, a husband and a, and a father uh, and a man because there are principles about relationships in the scripture. Don't be unequally yoked together. Principles about marriage. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. For this reason, a man leave his mother and father, cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. I learned about relationships and marriage principles from the Bible. I learned how to raise my children, how to be a parent. I got those principles from the Bible. Bring up a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. It doesn't mean they're going to always keep it, but it does mean they'll never forget it. It won't depart from them. That if you love your child, the, the Old Testament says, then you discipline them. You can bring your children up in the admonition and the way of the Lord. So there are principles about parenting in the scripture, principles about leadership and about life and friendship. But those are all secondary. The primary reason for the scripture, according to Jesus, is about Jesus. So for you to go to the scriptures, and Jesus says here in, in John chapter 5, and you've been searching the scriptures, and you find everything, but you miss Jesus. Not only do you miss life, that was a great shot, but you got the wrong target because it's all about Jesus. And actually this conversation that Jesus is having, it says he's having it with the Jews. It's really, I believe, the, the Sadducees um, and, and the Pharisees, these are religious organizations, they are religious groups. And the Pharisees thought that they were they were more right with God than anybody. They felt that they kept the law of God more than anybody. 
the Pharisees not only would go through the Old Testament, through the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, and they would pull out all those commandments that are in there. Then they added another six or 700 laws to themselves that wasn't even mentioned in the Bible. And they felt that they were just so strict about what they had with God and keeping the law. And so here comes Jesus in John chapter five, the way it opens up is that Jesus heals a man that has been, he's been lame for 38 years. He's at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Somebody carries him, lays him there. He's, and not only is he lame, he's around a bunch of lame people. And Jesus walks up into that setting, a man who has not walked in 38 years, and Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And what he hadn't been able to do in 38 years, now he's able to do in an instant because of the encounter that he had with Jesus. He rolls up that mat, he begins to walk, he goes into the temple, he's handling his business. And then the man starts telling everybody, it's Jesus that healed me, it's Jesus that delivered me. And the Jews, I believe it's these Sadducees and Pharisees, especially the Pharisees who I call the religious police, they didn't get excited because the man was healed. They got angry because Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day. And so they said, listen, you can't run around here healing people on the Sabbath day. You don't, you don't honor the Sabbath day. And Jesus was like, no, I honor the Sabbath day. I just don't honor all that other stuff you added to the Sabbath day. I honor it the way Moses in the law of God, when God gave him that word to remember the Sabbath day, to honor it and keep it holy. But all that stuff y'all adding to it? No, I don't, I don't do that. And Jesus is trying to get them to have an appreciation for the transformation of the man who had been lame rather than attacking him because of tradition. Jesus is calling for and challenging them to operate in truth and not in man-made and women-made traditions because truth transcends tradition. And they got mad at Jesus, John 5 and 18. See, they got mad at Jesus so much about that Sabbath day thing that they wanted to kill Jesus. We've already talked about how some people would rather kill you than rethink their theologies. So they said, listen, we're just gonna kill this man uh, rather than rethink the theology. He's trying to challenge us and call us to deal with truth, but we're gonna hold on to these, these traditions that help us personally and help us politically and help us to profit. And they only got mad at Jesus. Not only did they get mad at Jesus because of the Sabbath day, they got mad at Jesus, John 5 and 18, because Jesus claimed to be the son of God. They said, how dare you claim to be the son of God? How dare you claim to be equal with God? And the reason why he can claim to be equal with God is because Jesus is God. And this won't be the only time he claims that. Uh, he, you, you read this throughout the Gospel of John. He says, the Father and I are one. And he talks about, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All oh, that's in the Gospel of John. That's his claim to be the Son of God and equal with God. He says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd and I, I, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And all of this, I am, those religious police knew that that meant he's claiming to be the great I am. God told Moses, Moses said, God, what is your name? I got you telling me to tell Pharaoh, let his people, your people go. They're going to ask, does your God have a name? Tell them, I am that I am. He's the great I am. And then here comes Jesus. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. And then they said, why do you keep claiming to be equal with God? And Jesus said, in essence, 
because I am God. The apostle Paul says this. He says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And, and he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God because you can't steal what already belongs to you. And so because Jesus challenged them on the truth over tradition when it came to the Sabbath, and Jesus claimed to be the son of God, they wanted to kill Jesus. So Jesus enters into this conversation with them here in John 5. And he says, listen, y'all want to argue with me about me being the son of God? He said, let me remind you of the witness of John the Baptist. And they love John the Baptist. The Jews love John the Baptist in the first century. John the Baptist came preaching and teaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is right. You can have the kingdom of God right now. And he preached repentance. And so many people begin to turn their heart towards God. And the Jews love John the Baptist. They love John the Baptist so much until they thought John the Baptist was the Messiah, the anointed one, was the Christ. They thought he was the one that God promised that would show up and all of that. And so uh, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is reminding them of the witness of John the Baptist about Jesus. And he says, you know, y'all claim John the Baptist was the Christ. And he told y'all, I must decrease so that the Christ will increase. And John the Baptist says, his witness was, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the light. I came to point you to the light. He says that I'm, in John 3, I'm not, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the friend to the bridegroom. I'm the one that prepares the way for the Christ. And he told them that Jesus is the one who's, that's the witness of John the Baptist concerning Jesus, that Jesus, he's the Christ. And Jesus is so awesome until I'm not even worthy enough to untie his shoes. So Jesus is saying to them, if y'all want to argue with me about being the son of God, then remember the witness of John the Baptist. And in John chapter one, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus says, well, if that's not enough for you, the witness of John the Baptist, then let me just, let's, let's review the works that I have done. You think I'm not equal with God? You think I'm not the son of God? Then just check out my works. Y'all trees are not known by the bark they wear. Trees are known by the fruit they bear. Jesus said, just look at my fruit. Just look at my work. We're in John 5, but in John chapter 2, the works of Jesus. Man, Jesus turned water into wine and was able to keep a young married couple from being embarrassed in that community and was able to bless their home and their family and that relationship, the works of Jesus. And then in John chapter three, there was an older man by the name of Nicodemus and Nicodemus was a very religious man, but he had no relationship with God. And then Jesus helped him to understand what it means to be born again and be born of the water and be born of the spirit. And even though he was old and his sins had been cemented by time, Jesus said, you can change. You can have that transformation by that spirit. And that, that's the works of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm not through working yet. I, I, want, I want to remind you that in John chapter 4, there was a woman at the well. And this woman at the well in Samaria, she had so many issues in her life that it starts showing up in her relationship. She had five husbands. And then Jesus said, and the one she had now, that dude ain't even her husband that she's with. That's somebody else's husband. 
But Jesus was able to give her eternal life and through the power of the Holy Spirit, having that eternal life to well up inside of her. And then not only did Jesus get her right with God, and then a whole community, because of her witness, turned their hearts towards God. Jesus said, look at my works. I, I was able to turn a whole community, a whole city around to get their hearts right with God. And still in John chapter 4, there was a nobleman that this dude had power and prestige and prominence and possession. He had all of that, but he had a son that was sick at home. And that son that was sick at home was so sick, he was getting ready to die. And that man ran up on Jesus and said, I need you to, to heal my son. And then Jesus told the man, the only way y'all gonna believe is I keep doing all these miracles. And the man said, oh, that's fine, but are you gonna heal my son? He's getting ready to die. And Jesus said, go home, your son is healed. You talking about the works of Jesus? He just healed that man's son by speaking a word to it. That's John chapter five and Jesus, John chapter four. Then you get to John chapter five. There was a man who was lame and hanging around lame people at the pool of Bethesda. And then Jesus walks up on him and heals this man after 38 years. And Jesus said, if you want to challenge whether or not I'm the son of God, just review all the works that I've done. And then he said this, this is really where I wanted to focus today. I, I'm sorry it took me so long to set this up. He started talking about the scriptures. You have searched the script. He said it's the revelation of the scriptures that help you to see who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. He said you've searched the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but the scriptures, Jesus says, testifies of me. The scriptures preach about me. The scriptures point to me. The scriptures talk about me. The scriptures, that's the biography of Jesus or the autobiography of Jesus, depending upon where your thoughts are about scripture. So this is not just Jesus talking about scripture. This is the scripture's view of Jesus that there is a thesis, there is a thread, y'all. There is a theme that runs, there's a target that runs all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And that target is about Jesus. And some of us, we're giving it our best shot. We're going to the scripture, we give it our best shot, but we miss out on Jesus. Yeah, great shot, wrong target. The target is Jesus. And until you get Jesus, you've missed what the scriptures are all about anyway. In fact, by the time you get to John chapter 20, the writer says, he says, listen, there are many other miracles and many other th things that Jesus did that we didn't put in this book. But this book of faith, that we, we put these things in this book so that you might believe, it's a book of faith, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in believing, you have life in his name. It's the scriptures that speak of Jesus the Christ. When you look at scripture, when you open your heart and your mind and your soul, unlike these Pharisees and Sadducees, they, they read the scriptures, they searched the scriptures, but they didn't believe and receive the scriptures. Some of us do that. We, we read them, but we don't submit to them. We don't study them and submit to them and share them. 
And that's the first, the first time you're going to be satisfied in life is when you study the scriptures and then you submit to those scriptures and you share those scriptures and then you're going to find satisfaction like you never had before. But some of us are missing the target. We're missing Jesus. Yo, the scriptures help us to under, the scriptures have the promise of Jesus in them. Now, listen to me carefully. One of my friends say, I'm very intentional with my words. I didn't say the scriptures have the promises of Jesus in them. They do have the promises of Jesus. But I'm not talking about the promises of Jesus today. I'm talking about the promise of Jesus. The scriptures have the promise of Jesus in them. From Genesis to Revelation, um, from cover to cover, from start to finish, there's the promise of Jesus in the scripture. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus was walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and he was walking with, with two men that who, who were actually believers and followers of the Lord. And they were in so much pain and they're going through so many problems. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he showed up. And Jesus was talking to them, but they were hurting so much, kind of like so many of us now. Because of all the challenges and the chaos and the confusion that's going on and the pandemic and the social injustice and the racial divide and the political craziness. And some of us are in so much pain, we don't even recognize Jesus when he shows up. And when Jesus began to talk with them on, for seven miles as they walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it, the Bible says in Luke 24 that Jesus opened to them the scriptures and he began to reveal to them from the scriptures, from the prophet Moses all the way up to the contemporary prophets of the first century. And Jesus spoke to them from the scriptures about himself because the scriptures give a revelation of Jesus. The scriptures, that's the, the, the biography of Jesus. They point to Jesus. He began to speak about the prophets, what was written about himself. And I don't, I don't know which ones. It didn't get that much detail. It could have been Moses uh, in, in Genesis 3 and, and 15. In Genesis 3 and 15, it says uh, that the that the seed of the serpent will crush the heel of the seed of the woman and that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. The, you know, the seed of the serpent is Satan and the seed of the woman is Jesus. And Satan, it, it's the promise is, will crush the heel of Jesus. And he did that in the crucifixion. But it says that the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush the head of the serpent. And Jesus did that. And he did that in the resurrection. <laughs> Would you rather have your heel crushed or your head crushed? But that was a promise from the scripture of Jesus. Or maybe the prophet he was quoting and speaking of himself from the scripture was Psalm 22 when it talks about being around all of that evil and being pierced by those evil men. And then Jesus in the New Testament, you know, he was pierced in his hands by those nails, pierced in his feet by those spikes, pierced in his side with that Roman soldier with that spear but as a promise of Jesus that we get from the scriptures. Or Psalm 31, into your hand I commit my spirit. Psalm 31, that's a promise of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. So that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's because the psalmist wrote scripture that, that gave us the promise of Jesus. Or Isaiah 7, that a virgin will conceive and bring forth 
a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And in Matthew chapter 1 and 2, it speaks of how this young virgin named Mary conceived with, by the Holy Spirit and conceived a son and gave birth to that son and called his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. The promise of Jesus is what I'm trying to show you all the way through Scripture in Isaiah 9. For unto, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's the promise of Jesus. And of course, I'll give you Isaiah 53. Uh, who has believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, he's going to be like a, a just a, a little plant. There'll be no comeliness about him that, that anyone would love him and appreciate him. He would be despised and rejected of man. He'd be acquainted with grief. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity. That's the promise of Jesus. Let me give you one more. And I could do that all. I just want to show you in the scriptures. It, it, it reveals to us the promise of Jesus. I love it in, in, in Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 2, all hell is breaking loose. People are getting sick. People are dying. Families are falling apart. They're under oppression. It's an economic downturn. It sounds just like what we're dealing with right now. That's Malachi chapter 2. Then Malachi chapter 3 opens up saying there's going to be a messenger now that comes and he's going to make the way for the Lord. And then it says, and the Lord, who you've been waiting for, will suddenly appear. Suddenly appear. That's the promise of Jesus. There's going to be a forerunner. A messenger is going to lead the way. And then the Lord, who you've been waiting on, that Christ, that Messiah, that anointed one, he's going to suddenly appear. And then Malachi asks this, who's going to be able to stand when he appears? Because he's going to appear like a refiner with fire and like the one with fuller soap, and he's going to refine like a refiner, refining silver. But I love it because it's the promise of Jesus that he, he's going to appear. He will show up. It's the promise that he will say all the hell you're going through in this chapter in your life. But Jesus will show up and he will say, and he will set free. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, I, Isaiah 61. And he has anointed me to set captives free to set the oppressed free. He saves, he shows up for us. The promise of Jesus, he saves us. The promise of Jesus, he sets us free. The promise of Jesus, he sustains us. The same Lord that saves you is the same Lord that will sustain you. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The promise of Jesus. But the scriptures that you've been searching because you think you have eternal life, but you haven't believed and received it because you've missed Jesus. That's where the light is. But those scriptures reveal to us, um, they have in scriptures the pattern of Jesus, not just the promise of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a pattern that is established by Jesus. Preacher, what does that mean, a pattern of Jesus? Well, you, Jesus is from Genesis all the way through. Some people think you don't get to Jesus to the New Testament. No, he's there from, from the beginning all the way to the end. It's a pattern that is set up there. My grandmother um, used to sew, 
And my grandmother was, she was great with sewing. She had 10 children and, and my family was in poverty. My, when my grandmother would sew, she'd make her own clothes and then she'd make clothes for her children. Uh, she'd, just go, she'd just go buy material and then take that material and turn it into skirts and pants and jackets and dresses and she, she could sew. And then my auntie, Aunt Frida, she could do the same thing. They just take material and make their own clothes. It was amazing to me. And I always thought as a youngster that my grandmother just grabbed that material and just off the top of her head begin to put out, make outfits and put it together. I didn't find out till years later. No, my grandmother was using patterns. <laughs> she would take patterns and acquire those patterns and use those patterns to cut out sleeves and pants and, and, and she would follow, outline the pattern in order to make those clothes. And, and my aunt, they, they, what my grandmother, my aunt would do, my grandmother would show up and my aunt would say, where'd you get that outfit from? And my grandmother would say, oh, I made this. And my aunt would say, listen, I like that outfit. I need you to give me that pattern. And so my grandmother would let her use the pattern. And so she'd make the same outfit from the same pattern. Here's what I'm trying to show you though. They used the same pattern, but they didn't use the same kind of material and they didn't use the same color, and they didn't use the same buttons or zippers, but they used the same pattern. Y'all, the scriptures have a pattern. It's a thread, it's a target, it's a theme, it's Jesus. And, 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 and when we get that pattern of Jesus, I don't care, I mean, it, it could be a black church or a white church or a Native American church or an Asian church or a brown church, but when you got the pattern right, when you got Jesus right, that's when you know everything. It may not be the same color, may not be the same size, but when you got that pattern of Jesus, you're gonna be all right. Because you know, it's a pattern. If, I don't care if it's a Baptist church or Methodist church or Church of God in Christ or full gospel or uh, apostolic or non-denominational, I don't care. We better use the same pattern. We better use the same, the same Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. The same Jesus that God raised from the dead. The same Jesus that heals and delivers. And the same Jesus that comes, that's coming back again. The same Jesus that's going to rapture that church. It's a pattern in scripture. And, and, and that pattern is there, y'all. Um, in, in the book of Hebrews, it says that the Old Testament actually is a shadow of the substance that we find in Jesus in the New Testament. A shadow, yeah, it's the pattern I've been trying to tell you about. Uh, for instance, Moses. Moses is a, the shadow of the Christ that would come. Moses is not Christ, but it's a pattern of Jesus that we see. Think about this, Moses and Jesus, both when they were children, a king tried to kill them. Moses and Jesus, uh, both were priest, prophet, and king. Moses and Jesus both would go to places of desolation in order to have some alone time with God. Moses and Jesus both would go into the mountain so that they can hear from God. Moses and Jesus both fasted 40 days. Moses and Jesus both performed miracles with water. Moses and Jesus both gave up a life of royalty for the sake of an enslaved people. That's the shadow, that's the pattern in the Old Testament of the person of Christ that we get in the New Testament. It's a pattern that has been established. We, in the Old Testament, the priest would sacrifice a lamb or sheep for atonement for sin. Well. Behold the Lamb of God, 
John the Baptist says about Jesus that takes away the sins of the world. It's a pattern that I'm trying to show you here. Uh, that when God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from that oppression, that Egyptian oppression, God also sent 10 plagues. One of the plagues was death. And when death went through Egypt, God told Moses to slay that, that animal, to slay that lamb and to put that the blood on the doorpost. And every house that has blood of the lamb on the doorpost, when the deaf angel comes through, if the house don't have the blood on it, the deaf angel gonna stop there. But if the house has the blood on it, the deaf angel's gonna pass over that house. It's a pattern of Jesus. Y'all, the blood of Jesus, when it's on your house, stuff that may stop at other people's house begin to pass over your house, it is a pattern of Jesus that we find in scripture. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the pattern of Jesus is there in scripture. Let me give you one more. And that is that the scripture has the presence of Jesus in it. From Genesis to Revelation, from cover to cover, Jesus said, you have searched the scripture because you think you have in it eternal life. But those scriptures point, Jesus says to me, they, I'm the theme of the scripture. I'm the target. I'm the thread of the scripture. But it's about the presence of Jesus throughout the scripture as a constant reminder to us that no matter what we're going through, he's present with us. The presence of Jesus, and I don't have time to run all those verses like I really want to, but I'll, I'll just do this, that the presence of Jesus in scripture, it starts in Genesis chapter one, when God says, let us make humanity. And then he made them both male and female after his own image. Who was God talking to when he said, let us make humanity? I submit unto you that God manifests himself in at least three ways, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And even on the first page of the Bible, we see the presence of Jesus because the scriptures have the presence of Jesus in it. And then not only it commences in Genesis, but it continues through the rest of the Bible. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown to the fiery furnace because of their commitment to God and refusing to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, we can't bow to King Nebuchadnezzar because we've already bowed to the King of Kings. And they threw him in that fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thrown in there. And then when Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't I tell y'all to throw in three? But I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. And my childhood pastor says, Jesus always looks like the Son of God. That's because the presence of Jesus in that heated situation, in that hot predicament, in that time of, of, of uneasiness, in that time of confusion, in that time where a government, the head of, that, the head of state there was out of his mind, literally, but they survived it because of the presence of Jesus. It, commenced in Genesis, it continues through the rest of the scriptures, and then it concludes in Revelation, the presence of Jesus in scripture. In Revelation 19, verse 11, the apostle John says, I looked up and I saw heaven open. Wait a minute. John is a part of an oppressed community. The Jews are being oppressed by the Roman government. And even though he's a part of oppressed community and 
He's a part of the penal system. He's on a, he's on a, He's in jail, he's in prison. This is a penal colony that he's in. You're talking about mass incarceration for people that look like him. And the social injustice and the police brutality, he had to deal with all of that. And in the midst of all of that, he said, and I saw heaven open. The only way he could see heaven open is not just looking out and he was relevant. That's why he was writing the letter uh, and, and, but because he knew what was going on. But he didn't just look out, he looked up. He didn't just look at the, the, the ethnic divide of that day and the police brutality and the massacre. He, no, no, no. He also looked up and saw heaven open. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us, y'all. We can look in the times in which we live now. It's a lot of stuff closed. Schools have closed. Some churches have closed. Businesses have closed. Corporations have closed. Some financial institutions have closed. Grocery stores have closed. Department stores have closed. But if you look up, heaven is still open. And y'all, when you understand that heaven is still open, it will help you to deal with anything that's been closed in your life. And he said that when I saw heaven open, John says, I saw a horse. And the one that sat on, he said, the one that sat on the horse was called faithful and true. I love that. Heaven's open. And the one that is on um, the representation of power and authority. He's called faithful and true. So in the midst of all of these lies and all of this deceit that we have to put up with every single day, I'm so glad that with the presence of Jesus we find in Scripture, he's faithful and true. And when you keep reading in Revelation, it says the one that's on the horse called faithful and true, that written on his robe and written on his thigh, was king of kings and lord of lords. That's the greatest king and the greatest lord. I'm so glad that no matter what is happening in this world, Jesus is still king of kings. He's still lord of lords. Y'all, search the scriptures, but don't miss the target. It's all about Jesus himself. And once you get it right with Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, everything is going to be all right. I'll close it like this. Uh, I can't even believe it's been uh, more than a decade um, when, when those 33 miners in Chile, the San Jose mine in Chile, where those 33 miners got trapped 2,300 feet below ground within the earth. The, the mine collapsed. We all remember that was on television nationally and globally every single day. And they were trapped for 69 days, 33 miners. And even as they were trapped, for the first 17 days, and nobody heard from them. Nobody knew what was going on. It had collapsed. They couldn't get out. Nobody could get down there. And it was so dark, as we learned later, and all that dust that kicked around all of those days after the collapse, and all of that devastation and doom and gloom that they were experiencing. And then, all, and then here comes all these, what I like to call the frontline people showing up the first responders from doctors and scientists and engineers from all over the world going over to Chile trying to figure out how do we rescue these 33 miners. And they went over there and figured out a way to drill down. And as they would drill, they finally were able to hit a tunnel that could connect them to the 33 miners after 33 days. And some people had already declared that they must be dead, but they were able to write a note on, on the drill that said, uh, all 33 of us, are fine in this refuge. We, we're all fine. 
And then, of course, they were able to get them out after 69 days. Really a, a miracle it was how all that happened. But there was one of the men who was down there that got trapped, one of the miners. He talked about how uh, they, they had prayer every day for 69 days, especially those 17 days when nobody could hear from them and they hadn't heard from everybody. And uh, Jose uh, Henrique, Jose Henrique, and Jose Henrique, he said he's the one that led the prayers. He said that they were people down there, those 33, some were believers, but they were different denominations. And he said some were atheists. They didn't even believe in God. He said, but even when they didn't believe in God, that every day they gathered around and they all 33 participated in the prayer. And then he said that prayer service ended up every day turning into a Bible study. And he said he would try to memorize, remember scriptures that he had memorized from the past until they were able to lower a Bible down that hole that had been drilled. And he said 22 of the miners gave their life to Christ. Others, their hearts began to melt and to do better by God and their families and all of that. And here's what Jose said. He said it wasn't 33 of us that were in that mine for 69 days. He said it was 34 of us. He said, and the 34th one was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, there, there's no way they could have found us and drilled and pulled us out and, and protected us and provided for us all of that time had it not been for the Lord. In all of that devastation, in all of that doom, in all of that darkness, there they were, still trusting the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my word to you. Get in the scriptures. Thank God that our Savior tells us about the scripture. It's the word from the mouth of God. But thank God that the scripture tells us about our Savior. It points to our Savior. It's the target of the scriptures. Open that Bible and begin to read and then believe and receive because life is found in Jesus. But it's the scriptures that lead us to Jesus. John said, we have written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in believing that you can have Life, eternal life, hallelujah to the Lamb. Yes, I just want you to know in scripture, there's a presence of Jesus Christ. Yeah, when I was a kid, they used to say Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noonday, and Jesus in the midnight hour. Just every now and then, just call on the name Jesus. He's right there in your problems, in your pains, in your persecution, in your pandemic. Jesus is right there. Call on the name of Jesus. Yo, devils tremble at the sound of that name, Jesus. Jesus, there's deliverance in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. There's rescue in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Matter of fact, the more I say it, the better I feel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm telling you this right now, God has highly exalted him and given Jesus a name that's above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father there is a name I love to hear it sounds like music to my ears it's the sweetest name on earth oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus Jesus says you've been searching the scripture because you think you have in them eternal life. 